Uh, if you have got a Bible with you this morning, can I invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 12, it's page 13 in the Bibles that are in the pews. Genesis, as many of you will know, <clears throat> is known as the book of beginnings. And so it seems right or it seems appropriate to turn here at the beginning of a new year on this, the first Sunday of a brand new decade. Uh, and one of the phrases that we're going to read in a moment is this, and Abram journeyed on. And I love the language of journey. You've probably picked that up already. I love the imagery that is associated with that metaphor as we come to use it in terms of the Christian life. And starting this morning, we're going to commence on a journey that is going to last for the next 12 weeks, uh, three months minimum. It's going to take us from now right through to Easter. And it's a journey with this man called Abram, or at least that's what he's called at this stage of the story. And it's also a journey with God, and it's a journey into the unknown. A journey that involves many twists and turns and ups and downs and highs and lows. And as we stand here at the threshold of a new year and a new decade, as individuals and as a church, we set out on a new journey. We haven't been this way before. We don't know what lies ahead. There are certain things that are in place, yes, but there's always a sense of the unknown as you enter and as you negotiate a new year. And so I hope that as we travel with Abram on his journey in Genesis 12 right through to 20, which is where we'll end, we're going to discover adventures and challenges and warnings and lessons and pointers that will actually inspire us and influence us on our journey with God in 2010 and in this next decade. So what I'd like us to do right at the start is read the first nine verses of chapter 12. Uh, we're going to stand as we do that, as we often do. And I'm actually going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And because I realize not that many people will probably have a copy of that in front of them, I've put it onto the screen. So please stand with me uh, as I read these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had required in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Please do take a seat. Now, the Lord said, is how this narrative starts. 
And just based on those four words and where they fit into this book of beginnings, I want to make it clear right from the outset that we journey with a relational God. We journey with a relational God who communicates. And we journey with a relational God who communicates and who doesn't give up on wayward people. You see, Abraham didn't journey by himself. He did of human company, as we're about to discover as we travel with him. But far more significant is the recognition that the Lord was his travel companion. God was his travel guide. And it was God who spoke. God who related. You see, God's not passive. God's not distant. God's not isolated from us. God's not removed from us. God is a God who communicates. Who communicates with just ordinary men and women, like Abram, like you and I. And so we're not unaccompanied. We go with God into this new year. And we go with a God who speaks, a God who's living, a God who's personal, a God who's up close, a God who's accessible, a God who wants us to know him. A God who values us so much that he wants to relate to us. He wants to speak into our lives, to speak into our situations and into our circumstances. And at that most basic and fundamental level, I think it's so critical to know that as you step into every new year, that God steps into it with you. That you're not going to travel through this new year on your own. That God will accompany you. And not only will he accompany you, But he'll talk to you if you're willing to listen and relate to him. Back to Genesis 12. Because the fact that God said anything to anyone at this moment in history is really quite surprising. Because events in what is known as primeval history, or in the creation narratives as the first 11 chapters of Genesis are described, are not great. I mean, creation was good, but after that, things went downhill. And so God, even though we're only 11 chapters into the Bible, God has had to judge. The judgment of God has fallen three times in 11 chapters. God had created human beings in his image. They had this ability to love him. They had this ability to love one another, but they decided, no, we're going to head off in our own direction. We're going to do our own thing. And so God has already had to banish mankind from the garden, judgment one. He then had to destroy the vast majority of them via a great flood, judgment two. And then he had to divide people via diverse languages, judgment three. And amongst other things, the first 11 chapters of Genesis make it absolutely clear that the perfect relationship that God intended for mankind to have had been wrecked by sin and by its introduction into his world. Sin had come in, it had created tension, it had created distance, it had created a gulf between the creator and the created. And so judgment fell. It had to. And surely it would have been perfectly understandable, even at this early stage of history, for God to say, right, enough. I'm going to step back. I'm going to step away. I'm going to end all dialogue. But God didn't do that. 
God doesn't completely terminate all relations with the people he has made. He doesn't abandon them once and for all. And in Genesis chapter 12, a new day begins. Now the Lord said. It's only four words. But given their context, they reveal a God who's saying, Listen, I want to bridge that gap that has been created. I want to do something different. I want to do something new. And the reason I want to do that is because I love, because I care, and because I want to be reconnected with humanity who I have created. And so he doesn't give up on wayward people. And so in many ways, I thank God for Genesis chapter 12. I thank God for how it begins. I thank God for what those first four words imply. And maybe for some people, maybe just for you this morning, that's all you need to hear. All you need to know as you step into 2010 is that you journey with a relational God who communicates with you and who doesn't give up on you even though some of us look back on 2009 with lots of regrets because we've messed up. But God doesn't walk away from us. There's a lot in those first four words. But let's now look at who God spoke to. And the Lord said to who? Who was it that he invited to journey into the unknown? Now the Lord said to Abram, why him? Why Abram? What was so significant about this man? Could God not have found someone else? Someone better? As the story unfolds, we'll discover that he had some great qualities, but he was also someone who made some horrendous mistakes. And we'll see that as we journey with him. The text doesn't actually tell us why God spoke into his life. But let me tell you some of the things that we do know about him. Here's a quick biog. His dad was called Terah, his wife Sarai, and at this point he's 75. He's no kids. He's brought up in a place called Ur, which means city. It's a heavily populated centre of commerce and manufacturing. Very religious, very idolatrous place. Polytheism was alive and well. In other words, people worshipped a whole host of gods. In fact, more than 300 gods were recognized and adored in Ur. Incidentally, according to Joshua and his farewell speech, and if you were with us in the last term, we looked at this speech. It was in chapter 24. But whenever Joshua was making his farewell speech, he referred to Abraham's dad. He referred to Terah. And he said that Terah was someone who worshipped these other gods and so when you take all that into consideration it's probably worth making the point that Abram wasn't exactly raised in a God-fearing environment capital G God-fearing environment his culture and his family were in a very different place they were on a different page but even though that was the reality God still spoke into his life Because God is never restricted or intimidated by cultural context or family background. And at some point in his life, Abraham's dad decided to uproot the city-dwelling family and to head for Canaan. Although en route, they came to a place called Haran. And according to Genesis 11.31, they opted to settle there as a family. And so it was into that 
place that God spoke to Abram in Haran. But let's look at exactly what he said. Go from your country. Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And the command is right up front. It's go. And immediately you realize, as I'm sure Abram did, that the stakes were high. The change was inevitable. It's such a small word, go, and yet it packs a huge punch. And as you engage with the rest of Scripture, you soon discover that this is a key characteristic in God's call. And so he says to Moses, go to Pharaoh in Exodus 8. He says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. He calls the prophets to go in all sorts of directions to all sorts of different people. Jesus tells the rich young man to go sell your possessions. And then before Jesus returns home to be with his father, he instructs his disciples, all disciples, to go into all the world, to go make disciples, to go preach the gospel. And the point is this, that the Christian faith is not static. It never has been and it never can be. The Christian faith is not a stay where you are, settle down and get comfortable. It's a faith that challenges us to go, to keep going. Abram finds himself being asked to go from what he knows to what he's got no clue about. From the known to the unknown. To go from present clarity into a future of genuine and profound ignorance. No clue where he was going. He was to go from what he had to what he didn't have. He was to go from what was familiar to him to what would be strange. He was to go from his comfort zone to a place of risk and uncertainty. And I suppose at the start of a new year and a new decade, it's fair to ask this. Where's God asking you and I to go this year? Where is God inviting you to go? Now I know there's something very appealing about staying. Because staying where where you are is comfortable. It's safe. It's secure. And yet it's only when we move beyond the security of where we are that the path to newness and growth is possible. As John O'Donoghue says, there can be no growth if we do not remain open and vulnerable to what is new and what is different. And that is Abraham's story. Abraham grew because he was open and he was vulnerable to what was new and what was different. And so reflecting on this a little I started to think, well, where, where might God be asking me to go? Where might God be asking you to go? Where might God be asking us as a church to go in this new year? To go deeper in relationship and commitment to him? Possibly. To go in a new direction, a brand new direction. Abraham found himself in a place called Haran, which means crossroads. And I know there are some people here this morning, and that's where you find yourself. You find yourself at a crossroads, and you know that you need to go in a new direction. Maybe God's asking you to go the extra mile with someone. 
to go speak truth into a difficult situation, to go and actually say sorry to someone this year and to ask for their forgiveness, or maybe to forgive someone who's hurt you. God's telling you, go to that place. Maybe God's saying, go pray with someone. Go overseas. Go across the street. Go back to college. Go off that particular thing. Habit. Where is God inviting you to go? We, you and I, need to discern the specifics. And then go. And when it comes to going anywhere in response to God's call, you can be sure of two things. Going is going to test you. As a dead Abram. And although the thing to remember is this, that with testing, when it involves God, you can be sure that as a result of going, of stepping outside your comfort zones, that if it involves God, the testing will strengthen your faith. It did Abraham's, because his faith is now legendary. And the second thing is this, that going will force us to a place of dependence. You see, whenever you settle down, whenever you stay in one place for too long, you risk getting and becoming quite self-dependent. We don't necessarily need God when it's all familiar. When everything is now predictable, I can do this by myself. I can simply go through the motions But whenever we go from what is known to what is unknown, from what is safe to what is risky, then every step of our journey requires a tangible and definite dependence on God. Abraham's call to go. I don't know if you're hearing that call of God in your own life as you step into a new year. But alongside the command to go comes a whole bunch of promises. And the first one is that I'll make of you a great nation. And we all know Abram and Sarah had no kids at this stage. There was no one to carry on the bloodline. And therefore the idea of this family becoming a great nation must have sounded ridiculous. The history of this particular family at this particular stage was going nowhere. And based on the fact that Abram is already 75 years old, there isn't much by way of hope being offered. And Genesis 11 confirms that Sarah's barren. And so something extraordinary, something impossible was going to have to happen. And I'm sure whenever Abraham heard God say, I will make of you a great nation, Abraham wanted to butt in. He wanted to say, hang on a minute, God, I've got a few questions for you. And yet, there's no record of that at this stage. The questions will come. There's no doubt about it. They will come from Abraham. But at this stage of the journey... He just goes. And again, as I was preparing for this, it struck me how often we, how often I ask questions and I want answers before I go anywhere. I want the I's dotted, the T's crossed. Whereas for Abraham, he went and he asked the questions as he traveled. And sometimes I think that's what God calls us to. I want you to go. And as you go, ask the questions. Don't sit back and say, hey, listen, I've got to get this all sorted out before I'm going anywhere. Just take that step of faith. Just go wherever it is God's calling you to go and ask your questions as you go along. And God promises to make of Abraham a great nation. And because we know the rest of the story, we discover that actually God is a God of the seemingly impossible. But that's rushing too far ahead. For now, just let that promise register. 
Try to put yourself in Abraham's place as he heard God say this for the very first time. And God then adds more promises. He says, I'll make your name great. And there's no denying that that happened. The three major world religions hold Abraham in high regard. We know that. Christianity traces the lineage of Jesus Christ back to Abraham. Matthew 1 confirms that. The Jews identify Abraham as their founding father. And Muslims revere him as a friend of God, as the father of the prophets, and as an ancestor of Muhammad. I'll make your name great. And the promises keep coming. I'll bless you. And I'll bless those who bless you. And those who dishonor you, well, I'll curse them. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Five times in the space of two verses, we read the word bless, or variations of it, where we discover that God is actually going to shower his goodness upon Abram. That doesn't mean life's going to be plain sailing, again, as we're about to discover as we journey with him. But it did mean that God was for him. And ultimately, all would be well. I'll bless you. I'll bless those who bless you. Blessing. But notice what some have described as the purpose in all of this. The command to go, the promises are amazing, but look at the phrase at the end of verse 2, so that you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. You see, it seems that whenever God blesses us, it's not just something we receive, but it's something we embody. It's something we enact. It's something that overflows from us to others. I thought it was really interesting that that's how Roy prayed for Hillary. That she would be a blessing to others. And I like that idea. I like that picture of the Christian faith. That we who sit here this morning that have been so blessed by Almighty God and we don't take it for granted that we then in turn know what it means to become a blessing to one another and to those we meet along the journey. Andy Flanagan a singer-songwriter from Belfast who now lives and works in London. He wrote these lyrics based on this idea. We are blessed to bless a world in pieces. We are loved to love where love is not. We are changed to be the change you promised. We are free to be your hands, O God. You know, sometimes whenever we think of being blessed, we think in material terms. That if we have money and if we have our health, then God's blessing us. And there is an element of truth in that. But it goes so much deeper than that. Paul, writing to a bunch of Christians in Ephesus, says this. Praise be to God. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's blessed us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so we sit here this morning as a church and as a people who've been blessed beyond our wildest dreams. And if you read that first chapter of Ephesians, it lists all the blessings that we enjoy. Two, for example, we've been chosen. We've been forgiven. And even in light of that fact, God then says, go and bless others. Go and be a blessing to others. And if you're still looking for a New Year's resolution, let me suggest that one. That in 2010, I want to be a blessing to every single person I come across. And finally for this morning, we come to Abram's response. And I find this astonishing. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. I'm convinced, and I've already said this, that Abraham must have had so many questions. So many issues rattling around his head, and yet there's no record of any comeback. 
just an amazing statement of trust and obedience. Abraham, it says, and his wife Sarah, and you can only imagine what she was thinking. And his nephew Lot, it says they packed up all their possessions and they just went, as the Lord had said. And you know, all of this was based on God's word alone without a shred of evidence. Based on God's word alone without a shred of evidence. And no wonder Abraham appears in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 whenever it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, and here's the point, even though he did not know where he was going. Do you know, when it comes to us going anywhere, I think we want to know. I want to know what this is going to involve. I want to know what this is going to be like. I need to know answers to my questions. And what Abraham did was he embraced ignorance and he relinquished control. And that is a massive challenge because it takes a radical faith to make decisions to trust God with an unknown future. The question is, are we up for that? Abram left and he went and as a result, human history was altered forever. But I wonder what would have happened if Abram had decided, and I'm just going to stay in Haran. Abraham decided to journey into the unknown. And all of us should thank God that he did. But the issue for us as we start 2010 and as I finish is this. In the words of a song by The Clash. Should I stay or should I go now? We're going to pray together. And then we're going to sing one final song. Let me use these words. Let's pray. O God of new beginnings and wonderful surprises, thank you for the gift of a new year. May it be a time to grow in faith and love, a time to renew my and our commitment to you. May it be a year of blessing and may I be a blessing to others. Walk with me in spite of my weaknesses and my feelings, but above all, may I remember this year that I am a pilgrim on a journey with you. The Lord's my shepherd because he's the one who travels with us.